0: Chapter Two, Part Seven of More Tish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. More Tish by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter Two, Part Seven. It was perhaps five minutes later that I heard a faint call behind me and turned to see Myrtle coming along behind she was not crying now and her mouth was shut tight i suppose she said angrily that it doesn't matter if the tramps get me miss tish invited you to the farm i replied invited she snapped if this is what she calls an invitation i'd hate to have her make it a request however she seemed to be really a very nice girl although misguided for she took one end of the suitcase but I learned then how difficult it is for the average mind to grasp the high moral purpose and lofty conception of a woman like Tish. I might as well tell you now, she said, that I don't believe they'll pay any large sum. They're not going to be very keen about me at home, since it's elopement business. Who'll pay what sum? The ransom, she said impatiently. You don't suppose I fell for all that patriotic stuff, do you? I could only stare at her in dumb rage. At first, of course, she said. I thought you were white slavers. But I've got it now. The other game is different. Oh, I may come from a small town, but I'm not unsophisticated. You people didn't send my father those black-hand letters he's been getting lately, I suppose. Tish, I called sharply. But Tish had stopped and was listening intently. Suddenly she said, Run! There was a sort of pounding noise somewhere behind, and Aggie screeched that it was Nolis's bull loose on the road. I thought it quite likely, and as we had once had a very unpleasant time with it, spending the entire night in the Nolis's pigpen with the animal putting his horns through the chinks every now and then, I dropped the suitcase and ran. Myrtle ran, too, and we reached the farmhouse in safety. It was then that we realized that the sound was the pursuing car, bumping along slowly on four flat tires. Tish shut and bolted the door, and as the windows were closed with wooden frames nailed on, we were then in darkness. We could hear the runabout, however, thudding slowly up the drive, and the voices of Mr. Culver and the policeman as they tried the door and the window shutters. Tish stood just inside the door, and Myrtle was just beside me. Aggie had collapsed on a hall chair. I have, I think, neglected to say that the farmhouse was furnished. Tish's mother used to go out there every summer, and she was a great woman for being comfortable. At last Mr. Culver came to the front door and spoke through it. "'Hello, inside there,' he called, in a furious voice. As no one replied, he then banged at the door, and from the sound I fancy the policeman was hammering also, with his mace. "'Open, in the name of the law,' bellowed the policeman. "'Stop that racket,' Tish replied sternly, "'or I shall fire.' Of course she had no weapon, but they did not know this. We could hear Mr. Culver telling the policeman to keep back, as he knew us, and we had any other set of desperadoes he had ever heard of beat him for recklessness with a gun. There was a moment's silence, during which I heard Aggie's knitting needles going furiously. She learned to knit by touch once when she had eritis and was obliged to finish a slumber robe in time for Tish's birthday, so the darkness did not trouble her, and I knew she was knitting to compose herself tish then stood inside the door and delivered through it one of the most inspiring patriotic speeches i have ever heard she spoke of our long tolerance while the world waited then of the decision and the call to arms she said that the sons of the nation were rising that day in their might but she finished there are some among us who would shirk would avoid the high and lofty duty there are some who would profane the name of love and hide behind it to save their own cowardly skins to these ignoble ones there is but one course left open. Go, put your name on the roster of your country as a free man, unmarried and without impediments of any sort. Then return, and these doors will fly open before the magic of a blue card. It was at that time, we learned later, that the policeman, who was but a rough and untutored type, decided that Tish was insane. How often, alas, is genius thus mistaken, and started off for the Nolus farm to bring help, Mr. Culver made no reply to Tish's speech, and we learned later had gone away in the midst of it. Later on he was reported by Aggie, who looked out from an upper window, to be sitting under the chestnut tree where he had once rescued Tish's black alpaca skirt, sulking and watching. Tish then went up and spoke to him from the window. "'See here,' she said angrily, "'do you think that I did not mean what I said through that door?' He had the audacity to yawn. I didn't hear all of it," he said, but judging from what I know of you, I dare say you meant it. Would you mind tossing me a tin cup or something to drink out of?" You are not going back to town to register, then? It's early," he replied coolly. If you mean do I intend to walk back, I do not. I shall wait for the sheriff and the posse. It was then that Tish saw the policeman crossing a field toward the Knowles farm, and she tried to reason with the young man. But he dropped his pretense of indifference and would not even listen to her. "'I've only one thing to say,' he said fiercely. "'You be careful of that young lady. "'As to whether I register or not, that's my business, "'and has nothing to do with the case. "'When you open that door and send her out "'with four good tires to take the place of the ones you've ruined, "'I'll talk to you, and not before.' "'He then got up and walked away, "'and Tish came downstairs and lighted a candle "'with hands that shook with rage. "'We had heard the entire conversation, "'and in the candlelight I could see that Aggie was as white as wax.' while well, the situation was really desperate but tish's face forbade questions aggie ventured to observe that perhaps it would be better to unlock the door and release the girl but tish only gave her a ferocious glance i'm doing my duty she said firmly i have done nothing for which the law can punish me if a young lady comes willingly into my car for a ride as you did she turned sharply to myrtle and if a fool chooses to sit in my front yard instead of registering to serve his country it's not my fault as a matter of fact i can probably have him arrested for trespass as i have said the farmhouse is still furnished with tish's mother's things she was a biggs and all the things the Biggses had not wanted for sixty years were in the house so at least we had chairs to sit on and if we had only had water for we were all thirsty from excitement and dust we could have been fairly comfortable although myrtle complained bitterly of thirst and i want to wash she said fretfully "'If I could wash, I'd change my blouse and look like something.' "'For whom?' Tish demanded. "'For that slacker outside.' Suddenly Myrtle laughed. She had been in tears for so long that it surprised us. We all stared at her, but she seemed to get worse and worse. "'She's hysterical, poor child,' Aggie said, feeling for her smelling salts. "'I don't know that I blame her, Tish. "'No one knows better than I do what it is to expect to be married "'and then find the divine hand of providence intervening.' But Myrtle suddenly walked over to Aggie and, stooping, kissed her on the top of her right ear. "'You dear thing,' she said, "'I still don't get all the idea. But I don't care much if I don't. I haven't had so much excitement since I ran away from boarding school.' She then straightened and looked at Tish. It was clear that her feeling for dear Tish was still vague, but was rather more of respect than of love. "'As for the—' Young man outside,' she said. I seem to gather that he hasn't registered, and that I am not to marry him until he has. Very well. I hadn't thought about it before, but that speech of yours... Suppose you tell him that I won't marry him until he has a... A magic blue card. I should like to see his face. But Tish is a woman of delicacy, and she suggested that Myrtle do it herself, from an upper window. I went up with her, and we found Mr. Culver again under the tree. The conversation ran like this. Myrtle looking very pretty indeed, but very firm. Look here, I've... I've decided not to marry you. Mr. Culver, rousing suddenly and staring up at her. I beg your pardon? Myrtle. I know now that I was making a terrible mistake. No matter how much I care for you, I cannot marry a slacker. Mr. C., furiously angry and glaring at her. You know better than that. Myrtle. Not at all. Can you deny that you haven't registered yet? Mr. C., What's that got to do with it? I dare say I'm losing my mind. It wouldn't be much wonder if I have. When I think of the way I've suffered lately, look at me.' Myrtle, in a somewhat softened voice, "'Have you really suffered?' Mr. C? I, good Lord, Myrtle, why—I haven't slept for weeks. I—' But here he stopped, with his eyes fixed on the roof overhead. "'Watch out!' he yelled. "'Get back, Myrtle. She'll fall on you.' "'Not at all,' said Tisha's calm voice from overhead. "'There was a rasping sound, and then a long wire fell past the window. "'Now,' she called triumphantly, "'let your policeman telephone for the sheriff and the posse. "'That was a party wire, and that farmhouse over there is on it. "'There isn't another telephone for ten miles.' "'Well, I looked around for Myrtle, "'and she was on the guest-room bed, face down. "'Oh,' she groaned, "'I wouldn't have missed it for a trip to Europe.' and his face! Miss Lizzie, did you see his face?' She then got up suddenly and put her arms around me. "'I'm simply madly happy, Miss Lizzie,' she said. "'I have to kiss somebody, and since he—may I kiss you?' Well, of course, I allowed her to, but I was surprised. It was not natural, somehow. Myrtle came down soon after and said that Mr. Culver was bringing some water from the well, and would he be allowed to come in with it. But Tish was firm on this point, she gave her consent however to his leaving the pail on the porch and then retiring to the chestnut tree he did so whistling to signify that he was at a safe distance and i then carried it in i say he called to me when he saw me this situation is getting on my nerves i carried off that policeman for one thing he was on duty you needn't stay here i dare say not he replied rather bitterly but what i want to ask is this Won't it be deucedly unpleasant for you three when I report that you deliberately put my car out of commission so I could not get back by nine o'clock to register? Of course, he went on, a box of tax may have spilled itself on the road, but I never heard of a barbed-wire fence trying to crawl across a road and getting run over like a snake. I reported this to Tish, and I saw that she was uneasy, although she merely remarked that he still had two legs and that she had not asked him to follow us. All she had set out to do was to see that he didn't get married before he registered and she was doing that to the best of her ability the rest was his affair it was six o'clock by that time and tish had had nothing to eat since five in the morning and none of us had had any luncheon although a woman who thinks little or nothing of food i found her shortly afterwards in the pantry looking into jars there was nothing however except some salt a little baking powder and a package of dried sage but Aggie, going to an attic window to look for the policeman, discovered about a quart of flour in a barrel up there, and, scraping it out, brought it down. I might bake some biscuits, Tish, she suggested. I feel that I'll have to have some nourishment. I'm so weak that my knees shake. Myrtle, Tish said abruptly, with that quick decision so characteristic of her, you might tell that worthless young man of yours to look into the granary, "'Sometime the Nolises hens come over here, and I dare say they've eaten enough off the place to pay for the eggs.' But Myrtle, after a conference from the window, reported that Mr. Culver had said he would get the eggs, if there were any, on condition that he get his pro rata share of them. "'If there are ten eggs,' she said, "'he wants two, and if there's an odd number he claims the odd one.' This irritated Tish, but at last she grudgingly consented. In a short time, therefore, Mr. Culver knocked at the kitchen door." i am leaving he said eleven eggs eight of undoubted respectability two questionable and one that i should advise opening into a saucer first also some cornmeal from the granary and if you will set out a pail and come after me if i am wounded i shall go after a cow that i see in yon sylvan vale his voice was strangely cheerful but indeed the prospect of food had cheered us all although i could see that tish was growing more and more anxious as time went on and no policeman appeared in the knollis's machine however we worked busily myrtle building a fire and setting the table with the bigses dishes and aggie making biscuits without shortening while tish stirred the cornmeal mush many a soldier in the trenches she said would be grateful for such a frugal meal when one reflects that the total cost of mush and milk is but a trifle here however we were interrupted by mr culver outside he spoke in gasps and we heard the pail clatter to the porch floor i regretfully report he said through the keyhole no milk wrong sex sorry ten of the eggs proved good we placed two of them on a plate with three biscuits and a bowl of mush and tish carried it out placing it on the floor of the porch much as she would have set it out for the dog here she called and when you have finished you might go after that accomplice of yours he's probably asleep somewhere dear lady said mr culver i would but i dare not a fiery creature breathing fury from its nostrils is abroad and-but tish came in and slammed the door it was after supper that we missed tish she was nowhere in the house and the kitchen door which had been bolted was unlocked aggie wrung her hands but myrtle was quite calm i shouldn't worry about her she said she's about as well able to take care of herself as any woman i ever saw it was now quite dark and our fears increased but soon afterwards tish came in she went to the stove and pouring out a cup of hot water, drank it in silence. then she said, "I've been to the Nolises. The dreaded idiots are all away, probably to the schoolhouse, registering the car's gone, and the house is closed and the policeman I asked, "I didn't see him, said Tish, but she did not look at me. She fell to pacing up and down the kitchen, deep in thought. What time is it, Lizzie she asked, almost eight. Here Tish gave what in another woman would have been a groan. It's raining, she observed, and fell to pacing again. At last she told me to follow her outside, and I went, feeling that she had at last made a decision. Her attitude throughout her period of cogitation had not been unlike that of Napoleon before Waterloo. There were the same bent head and clasped hands, the same melancholy mixed with determination. End of chapter 2, part 7